With a population of 39.7 million people, those living in California have a 1 in 224 chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime. Violent crimes include rape, robbery, assault, and murder. Welcome back to Hella Capital Crime. How's it going? Good. How was your weekend? Uh, kind of uneventful. I was unfortunately still sick with the gay cold and stayed in literally all weekend. Um, but, you know, not bad. I was able to catch up on TV, you know. Oh, cool. Fun things to do while sick. You know? New shows or ones that like you've had on your list? Or? Yeah, it's shows that I've had on my list, so like DVR and like shows that I've added to my list on like HBO Max and stuff. So, you know, just usual sick things, whatever. Um, how was your weekend? It was good. I mean, we did a little pool party, little girl pool party, had like a nice little afternoon ladies movie thing. And then I frolicked with my boo, frolicked about with my boo, watching Olympics and binge watching some shows. Nice. Yeah. So I just binged, um, White Lotus. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. I'm like, I'm addicted. I wish it was, it's the kind of show where you have to have a new, or a new episode comes out every week, but I wish it was the opposite where they just released the whole fucking season. Oh yeah, seriously. Cause it's so good. But my favorite thing is 20 minutes into the series, there's dick. So, I mean, it was like... I, okay, I don't know if you remember, when I first watched it, I texted you guys in the group chat. I was like, hey, so Steve Zahn's dick and his balls are on this. I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to see that, but I was I wasn't mad at it. No, so. me either. Exactly. Same reaction. I was like, oh, I didn't know that I wanted... Okay, it's good. No, I, I just like the dynamic. I still have no idea what's going on, but like, I like the dynamic of... Because you've been on many vacations, mm-hmm. so have I. And no matter how successful, I've probably been on like one true successful vacation, you know? Mm-hmm. There's something that always pops up where everyone's in a panic for a second. Yeah. I just like that it shows the different like anxieties that go into planning a vacation and making it a good vacation. And so, for multiple people, too. Exactly. Yeah, not so. just one specific individual. Yeah, I, I like it. I don't know where it's going. It, I, it's building up to some kind of mystery, which is great. Um, The one thing I did notice, though is that the kids in the show who aren't really kids are like teenagers. Mm-hmm. They're just brats. One's in college. And I'm like, you're oh, too, you're too old college? to be... Yeah, Olivia's oh. in college. Oh, I'm she's, like, she's a brat. You're too old to be acting this yeah, way. Yeah, she's, a, the, she's a really bratty kid. I feel like she's really disrespectful to her parents in the show, her mom especially. Like, when her mom was asking her for help with something, like, I think it was like putting away the bed... You know, because obviously they're on oh, vacation, yeah. so it's like a rollaway bed. She's like, why? And I was like, I would have been like, what She would have been slapped. What Yeah. And listeners, been... would you guess that they're white? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly why they're talking that way. Well, speaking of rude white kids, um, <laughs> what are we discussing today? So we're actually back local today, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually a listener story. So a listener contacted us, gave us some information and this happened fairly recently, mm-hmm. well, in the last 10 years. And yeah. honestly, it was something that I hadn't really heard of, even though I'm from the area. And this happened in El Dorado Hills, which is, what, a good 45 minutes away from Sacramento? Yeah, maybe even less. Oh, yeah, less than that, right near Folsom. Um, and we looked into the story, and there was so much information, and it's very juicy. So, it like, is. I we had to jump on it right away. Like, yeah, we're doing NorCal, and yeah, this is still technically NorCal, but... We had to reel it in and make it a little bit more local this time because, my goodness, it's it's a whirlwind for sure. Um, so, yeah, today we are talking about the murder of Joanne Witt. Um, and you'll understand a little bit why we're talking about rude-ass white kids. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cheers. Let's have some wine because this is the first wine I've had all weekend since I'm not sick anymore. So, cheers. Yay, cheers. 
job being a single parent is probably one of the hardest jobs out there it's um you're underappreciated you're underpaid Mm -hmm. overworked Mm -hmm. i mean the list goes on and on and like i grew up with a single mom and you know i'm very fortunate though because while i had a single mom monday through friday my dad was very much in the picture i spent every summer there weekends with him and he lived out of town he would come to town to pick me up every weekend so my dad was a huge part of my life my grandparents were a huge part of my life and Mm -hmm. like part of my upbringing, but my mom still worked 40 plus hours a week, you know, to provide for us. And, you know, I'm always grateful to my mom. I'm also not like a bratty white kid, so I'm not mad at my mom for, you know, having to work, you know, not helping with my homework. I figured it out. It wasn't really that hard. Stop crying, white kids. But you're a parent and I'm sure you can attribute to how hard this job is. Yeah, so um, I guess you could say I'm kind of a single parent as mm-hmm. well, um, you know, because at one time I was married, but I'm no longer married to the father of my children. But he is super active and involved. You mm-hmm. know, we, we are 50-50, so we equally have the kids. And we, I would say we kind of co-parent pretty well, if that's even a term. Yeah. And so funny that we're discussing this, because just earlier today, this morning at 7 a.m., our daughter had a meltdown, <clears throat> and she had a meltdown between coming from his home to mine. And so what we collaborated on, because he was like, hey, just forewarning, she's mad. So, of course, you know, she hops she hops in my car and she's like, just drive. And I was okay. like, and, and I immediately was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> and she was like, mom, just drive. I don't want to see dad. And then he's like, oh, you don't want to see me? You don't want to see me? You don't oh, want to. No. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, no, it's like me and you arguing. And he's like, yeah, except it's my daughter. And I was like, right. So we I think we, we don't tolerate our daughters. Yeah sassiness and mis misbehavior and i will say when we were together we had each other's back when it would come to her talking yeah, at, or her or sure. our son you know getting an attitude we would both be like hey don't talk to your dad like that don't talk to your mama who are you talking to always always yeah. we always ask our kids questions who are you talking to or what are you doing so it is a little bit more difficult now because a lot of the time you know when she gets acts up she'll just be with him when she acts up she'll just be with me so I can't even imagine what Joanne Witt was going through raising a teen daughter who totally. was already a brat. Totally. Yeah, and our daughter's not even a brat. She's just, you know. She had her moment It's just today. her moment. Yeah. It was just her moment this she's morning. She's a very good child, by she's the way. You're very, su- yeah, very she's lucky. super well-behaved and grateful. But- it's funny, too, because when I was younger and growing up, I only got spanked once by each parent. And after that, I knew not to fuck around. Mm-hmm. I, I knew it was just a look and I was like, oh, I'm being a brat. So what we're talking about today is a situation with Joanne Witt. Um, she was a woman who was born in 1962, um, January 25th to be exact. And she had a daughter named Tyler and she, the father was never involved mm-hmm. in, never in the picture, never yeah. in the picture with mm-hmm. upbringing. And, you know, Joanne did have her parents who did help occasionally and Tyler was their third grandchild. And Tyler went everywhere with Joanne. She was so proud to be a mom. And, you know, there were so many videos of, like, Tyler growing up where 
her mom just has her on her lap or like she's dressed up in a cute little costume mm-hmm. and like they're doing everything. So like she was a very good single mother. Yes, like she exactly. there's a lot of women. I have to give it to Joanne. There's a lot of women out there when there's no man in the picture. They just kind of do the bare minimum. And there is there's another type of women that they do everything when they're the only parent. And Joanne was one of the women that did everything that she could to make yeah. sure that Tyler had, you know, a fun childhood. Yeah. So this story takes place in 2009, um, June to be exact. And without giving away too much, basically, Joanne ends up murdered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, police at first don't know who did it. And how this happens is her parents were actually retired. And they have their um, RV that they're traveling across America, just finding new things to do. And they arrive home and, you know, they're settling back in and they get a call from Joanne's boss. And he's a little concerned because it's now Monday and he says that Joanne never showed up to work on Friday mm-hmm. and she didn't show up today either, Monday. And that's just a little strange about um, Joanne because if she were to ever not show up, she would definitely call. Like there had never been a situation where she just didn't show up and it was whatever. And the boss was actually concerned because Joanne had actually confided in him that she had a rocky relationship with Tyler, and he was concerned that something could potentially have happened. So, um, you know, they said that the parents said that they were going to call the police, and um, the boss was like, hey, I already did that. Like, the Mm -hmm. sheriffs are on their way to do a welfare check. Can you get down to her house? Because they lived in the area. Um, Can you get down and let them in? So they showed up to the house and her dad actually opened the door and police would not let him in. And that's obviously not a good sign. Right. Exactly. Because they just weren't sure. And they go upstairs, the police do, and they find the body of Joanne dead in her bed. And she had been stabbed over 20 times and her throat was slashed to the point where she was almost decapitated. Um, So at that point, the parents are like, well, where's Tyler? Why is Tyler not here? Um, so they're nervous that maybe someone took her. Mm-hmm. So that's the basis of the story. So a little bit of background with Tyler. She was at the time 14 and she had just started high school going to Oak Ridge High School, which is the high school in El Dorado Hills. Um, and at that point, she had just met a boy named Stephen Culver, not Stephen Colbert, which but, I was saying earlier. But Stephen Culver, mm-hmm. who was 19. He also went to Oak Ridge High School, um, but he had just started school at Folsom Lake College, the local JC in the area, part of Los Rios. So um, so the reason that the story came to our attention, um, the, our source actually went to school with Stephen Culver and just gave us a little bit of background information on him. Um, he was a trench coat wearing kind of guy. So that kind of tells you a little bit about mm-hmm. his character. Um, but, you know, our source did say that, like, he wasn't, like, mean. They didn't interact in, like, a friendly setting. But it wasn't, like, he never witnessed him being rude to anyone else. Yeah, um, not mean-spirited. Yeah, and our source described um, Stephen as quiet and a bit socially awkward in class and around campus. Um, social, but just with a small group of people. And they all hung out near, like, the band theater area, you know? Like the Grassy Knoll area? Oh, my God, the Grassy Knoll. Um, no respectable girl would ever date someone who hangs out there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
sorry, clueless moment. Any anytime we can bring up clueless, we're going to. But basically, Stephen knew his interests were different than most people, and he like liked that, like the stuff that he liked, like anime and like gaming. It made him different, and like he liked that about himself. Funny because although I understand that that made him different from maybe majority of his peers. There is a huge, like, group of oh, yeah. anime gamer kids. Totally. Yeah, so. Hmm. And, like, he was just quiet in class and didn't really jump at the opportunity to participate or talk. So that's kind of background about him. So basically, they these two started dating Tyler and Steven after being introduced by mm-hmm. friends at a coffee shop. So basically, Steven and Tyler, like I said, they were introduced by friends at a coffee shop in December of 2008. Um, they started dating two months later. So they kept in contact between there, but it was just kind of like here and there. It wasn't anything like serious. Serious. Um, once they started dating, though, they did begin to have sex regularly. Um, she was 14, probably just had just entered, you know, puberty a year, <laughs> like around that time before. Who knows? Um, so obviously, as we saw in that movie, old, you know, hormones rage. The hormones rage. Um, yeah. So, except I was playing with Barbies at fourteen, but whatever. I know. So the um, family hadn't really lived in El Dorado Hills for that long at this point, um, and so again, it was you know El Dorado Hills is a really, I want to say well off. I know that the like not everyone who lives there is well off. Like they're they're huge houses, but like you know there's a lot of people that live there that you know aren't millionaires or right. just because you know these are expensive houses but it is a nicer area for those of you that aren't familiar with sacramento um folsom and el dorado hills are going towards uh south lake tahoe out of sacramento and they are very nice like towns you know they're very nice towns and majority of the people there are well off maybe not necessarily millionaires there's a good handful yeah. of millionaires no, there. there definitely is yeah, but not but, not but, everyone is and it, like yeah. case in point like obviously joanne wasn't a mm-hmm. millionaire she worked for the the county as mm-hmm. like a I forget what her job was but she worked for the county um as she was an engineer that's what she was so like she made good money but like she still lived in a big house with just her and her daughter yeah um so at this point Tyler really wanted Steven around and like he was independent like didn't live at home anymore um so she actually lied to her mom about the relationship between the two of them she even went as far as to say that Steven was gay mm-hmm. and she's like oh this is just my best friend we're kind of like brother and sister like we love hanging around each other um and she somehow convinced her mom to let steven move in with her or with them yeah in his own room obviously um and she just convinced like oh well he'll help pay rent um you know yada 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 and it happened and you know who knows what kind of bind joanne was in but it didn't take her very long to start like questioning their relationship she thought something like was off even though he was gay supposedly 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 gay at this point yeah yeah so um in spring of 2009 is when he moved in so on may 14th of 2009 joanne had actually gotten home and she noticed that tyler's door was open so she knocked on steven's bedroom door because tyler was nowhere to be found in her room and it took a minute for him to answer and when he did i'm not really sure like what happened he like appeared half clothed when she opened the door and she was kind of like what's going on and she barged in and in the closet was tyler naked like butt ass naked just in the closet crouching down and immediately joanne told steven to move out basically told them that she would not press charges against steven if he stayed away from her and at this point she called two of her co-workers to come and like help her remove him because mm-hmm. she just didn't want to do it herself well, because he was a 19 year old man and 
Tyler yes. was a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. And so um, one of her coworkers actually took him outside and was like, you know, if this was like, if this was my family, I would beat you up like East Coast style. And like the interviewer is like, well, what does that mean? He's like, I would have killed him basically. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and not so many words basically. So he's moving out. And, you know, it's a big tumultuous thing. And, you know, he like even told Joanne while he's moving on, he's like, oh, I'm so lucky I'm not in jail right now. So he knew the severity of what he was doing. He just didn't care. So three days later, on the 17th of May, um, Joanne actually called the El Dorado Sheriff's Department to report Tyler was missing. I believe Tyler thought that if he were to move out, she could just go hang out and like live with him, whatever, and it wouldn't be a big deal. So that's where she was, you know, three days before. So at the house, Joanne had told a sheriff's deputy that her 14-year-old daughter was possibly having sex with a 19-year-old boyfriend. Tyler ended up calling the house when the deputy sheriff was there, and Tyler said she was at a friend's house. So the sheriff's deputy picked her up, and she denied the sexual relationship, and they just brought her home. Um, The Eldorado Sheriff's Department um, opened an investigation into Stephen's alleged unlawful sex with minor. So, fast forward to June 10th of 2009, a deputy sheriff returned to the house and, you know, questioned Tyler again. And he told Joanne that, you know, Tyler was still denying the relationship. So, at this point, Joanne turned over Tyler's journal that had very graphic, detailed sexual relationship info that she had been doing with Stephen, like sexual positions, how many times they did it, basically gross stuff. So, this journal was booked into evidence under a statutory rape investigation that they had opened on thursday june 11th sorry there's so many dates 2009 joanne had told tyler that she had turned over the journal and a towel that was on steven's bed i guess for like dna DNA, yeah probably yeah um so throw your cum rags away guys (laughs) basically so when joanne had left the house a panicked tyler called steven at rubio's where he worked in Folsom, and um you know what? Rubio's was open at the Galleria. Now they're closed. And it was the one place I liked going. Shame. Aww. Anyways, um, she basically had told him what Joanne had done. And they were like like 100% that he was going to be arrested. Mm-hmm. So I think now is a good time as any to talk about the tumultuous like history between the mom and the daughter. Um, right. How we even ended up here to yeah. begin with. So basically um, what our source let us know was that when Tyler was five... CPS actually took her away and her parents had temporary custody. So, like, basically what happened was, um, and this is according to Joanne's best friend, um, Roxanne Ugrit. Joanne had actually lost control when taking Tyler home from daycare when she was five. Um, Tyler was screaming like the little brat that she was. And Joe was having trouble concentrating, like, doing safe driving, Right, she was driving in the car and her daughter was screaming. She turned around and she smacked the shit out of Tyler Mm -hmm. in the backseat, as I would have too. And um, so the next day, daycare workers noticed a red mark that matched um, her hand on Tyler's face. So they reported it to CPS. Which I think is super dramatic. I've been slapped plenty of times when I was a child. I mean, I would have called the parents in and be like, what is this? And then if if I thought there was an issue, but but I'm not, I'm not in their shoes. Something tells me that Tyler probably put on the dramatics and the waterworks. Oh, of course. Not saying that she, well, no, I am saying she deserved to get hit. I don't like Tyler. She deserved to get hit. I'm sorry. As a mother, she deserved to get hit. All Mm -hmm. right. So Tyler went to foster care for a month and was with her grandparents um, after they got temporary custody and they had her for six months. Um, Joanne had to go to anger management classes during this time and she did. She completed them. Um, And when she got her back, 
the dynamic was just completely different. She mm-hmm. was afraid to dis- discipline her after that. Um, mm-hmm. She was scared that Tyler would call CPS on her. Right, because now Tyler had that under her belt, which also I want to note earlier, uh, we did mention that Tyler did ask Joanne if her boyfriend could move in. And I was going to say, you know, I bet you at this point, Joanne probably, or at that point when that mm-hmm. happened, Joanne probably didn't really have a choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because she was probably, I think Tyler used the whole CPS well, to her advantage for the we'll, rest of her life. We'll kind of we'll kind of touch on that in a second, too, just because um, at this point, now that, like, she was scared of Tyler, like, what Tyler would do if she, like, disciplined her, um, Tyler started to rebel. Like, she started doing poorly in school. Um, instead of, like, asking, hey, mom, can I go hang with these friends? She's like, I'm going here, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, she just kind of let her do it. Um, so a few months before her death is when she finally decided to discipline her because she was completely out of control. And um, basically, Tyler accused her mom of getting drunk and beating her, but she was, like, never taken from the house, um, which is kind of weird. And um, Joanne's friend, Roxanne, said that there was no abuse and that Joe did not drink. And even the prosecutor on the case, Lizette Souter, agreed that there was no evidence to support the accusations Tyler's that Tyler was making. Yeah. That Joanne was alcoholic. Because right? there were no marks or bruises and nothing happened when others were around, which there were a lot of people around often. So like, is this something that only happens in private? Like how realistic is that? Um, and so then on June 11th, back to when she did this or when she told um, Skylar what had happened, a fight broke out between the two of them in which Tyler hit Joanne and left a cut on her chin, bruises on her arm. Um, and then the weirdest 911 call I have ever heard followed, in my life followed, that followed this. Yes. 911. Um, excuse me, I need to report vandalism and um, physical abuse. When did this happen? Um, my daughter, Tyler Witt, has physically assaulted me and she's vandalizing my home. Where is she right now? She's upstairs. Do you need to go to a safe place? No, I can go outside. How old is your daughter? She's 14. Did she assault you also? Yes, she did. And she's 14? She would not go back into her room. I tried to push her back into her room, and we started to get into a fight, and I'm bleeding. Do you need a medic? No. Mm. Are you home alone with her? Yes. Where are you, Andrew? Um, I have a cut above on my chin and on my right hand, and she's passed down my arm. And your daughter's now upstairs in her room? Yes. What's her name? Tyler, T-Y-L-A-R. She's always been in the house all evening? Yes. Well, no, I had to call the police because she told me where she was, but that was after I called the police. I didn't know where she was. Uh-huh. So they had to search for her. Is she on probation or anything? No, she's not. Has she been drinking or using narcotics this evening? No, she's not. Does she have any weapons? No. What's she upset about this evening? Hello? Yes? That was my daughter. Go ahead. Finish your report. Send me to jail. Is her name Joanne? This is where? Yes. What is your first name? Joanne. Okay. Are you safe? I don't know. Okay. Are you injured at all? Yeah, I'm injured. Okay. 
We have deputies on the way. So what do you have to say about that really weird 911 call? So I understand that it's weird because it was Tyler pretending to be Joanne. However, I've been that crazy teenage girl. And so I'm not saying that Tyler has... She has a leg to stand on with what she did. However, I understand that she was so crazy that she was willing to do anything to get out of the home because she truly believed that her situation was so bad at that point. Yeah. Which it wasn't, but her dramatic ass 14-year-old self really thought it was. Maybe she was 15 by now at this well, point. Well, I mean, that that was the whole point was that she just – she wanted to get taken away by the sheriff, so she – Pretended to be her mom. And, it, like, imagine being the mom mm-hmm. walking in on your daughter, calling 911 on herself. I Like, like I just gave Erica a really weird look. Like, what the fuck? My mom would have been like, why? Are you, you already look white. Why are you acting white? <laughs> I know it's about to say, because I know there's a lot of great white people out there. I'm sorry. But I'm just telling you, this is how I grew up. Um. So, yeah, Tyler had said that she wanted to be anywhere but home that day. And so she was taken to juvie, but Joanne refused to press charges. And... Tyler was released a few hours later and sent back home. So we're back to the court case. At that point, after she had called Stephen and let him know that, like, Joanne had given, you know, the... The in, journal. The journal and mm-hmm. the, the cum rag to... Um, the cum rag. The cum rag to yeah. um, authorities. Um, he came to the house a short time later. And so they talked about, like, what they should do. And they had an earlier conversation about committing suicide together. And so they recalled that. And Steven said that that was initially a last resort because they wanted to be fucking Romeo and Juliet or something. I don't know. Um, So according to Tyler, they finally decided that they would run away before Saturday. So this was Thursday. Mm -hmm. And um, they thought um, Steven would actually be arrested on Saturday. So that's why they wanted to leave before then. I don't know why they thought that. Because they're... She was 14, he was 19, and they're white and stupid. But I I did read that in in other documentation as well, aside from the court case, and I don't know why they they thought Saturday was the big fucking day. I don't know. So they would run away Saturday, and then they would commit suicide together the following Monday in San Francisco. How romantic. Um, I like how they planned a little trip between the suicide and the runaway, though. I guess. They're like, you know what? I want to go to Pier 39. Let's get some clam chowder, and then we'll kill ourselves. (laughs) Right. So the only thing that came up that they, they would have to do before that, though was that they would have to kill Joanne on Friday night because she would notice them missing, and then she would report it, and then their plan would be ruined. Um, so Tyler said that they could not take a knife from the house because obviously they didn't want to get caught. So Stephen said, and I'm using air quotes, that he would get the knife. Um, he had his own knives and blades, and he also had access to knives at work as well. Um, so after this, Joanne came home. She actually apologized to Tyler for invading her privacy, which my mom would never have done no, that, but okay. My mom does that to this day. She knocks on my door and invades the privacy. I don't get no apologies. <laughs> well, at least she knocked. I mean, she does. Hey. That's nice. Yeah. So Tyler played video games that night until 10 or like 10.30 p.m. It's not really known, but that's the window that she gave. And um, she then went upstairs and went to bed. And she noticed that Joanne was asleep for the time being and that the television was so still on. And to her... This meant that Joanne had been drinking, so she passed out drunk, whatever. Um, Tyler had called Stephen to vent about her mother being drunk again, and I'm using air quotes very violently right now, (laughs) and suggested they kill her that night because it would go easier. So they decided Stephen would kill Joanne, and um, Tyler, um, you know, when when Tyler was sure that she was sound asleep. 
And when Stephen got off work, he parked his car in an elementary school parking lot next to the house. Um, he was at the parking lot from 10.59 p.m. to 11.56 p.m., which is a very long time to wait. But I know, he was there. They didn't even have smartphones back then, or did they? It was 2009. Of course they did. I had, like, a sidekick three or four I'm just wondering what 12. the quality, like, what was he doing? Uh, no idea. You know? Jerking off. Who knows? When his cum rag. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, so... At 11.56 is when um, he received his last phone call from Tyler at that location. So Tyler told him, she's finally asleep. You can come over now. Um, Stephen had walked to the house so that the gated community in which they lived would not register his car's entry. And Tyler met Stephen outside the house where he showed her a knife that he had gotten from work that he wrapped in a Rubio's plastic bag. See-through. Like, how did he get that out? Whatever. Um, And... So they went inside and Taylor grabbed a knife from the kitchen knife or the knife block in the kitchen, which I have a problem with this. And this is literally from the court document right here. My problem is that she said that they couldn't use a knife from, from inside the house. The house. Yeah. So why did she bother that? Grab a or, knife from the I mean, why did she grab it? Yeah. And who keeps a knife in the... I get it. I don't cook that much. But does anybody, anybody, like, do they really keep like a fat ass Michael Myers knife just in the middle of the wood in the kitchen? Am I the only person that doesn't do that? I mean, I do. But okay. mine, mine's also in the corner, like the deep corner. Okay, my... so yeah, because I read that detail and I was like, really? But I also so... like have no room in my kitchen. Okay, so, so like everything I'm has the to odd be out. One. I'm the odd one that doesn't keep utensils out. Okay, got it. I guess. I mean, yeah. Um, so after that, Tyler led Stephen upstairs to Joanne's bedroom. And Stephen went inside the room and Tyler saw him practicing with the knife. So, I, yeah, I, I don't, like, how do you practice? I think, but... I think if I saw the guy I was fucking practice with a knife just whatever the plan may be i probably would have broke up with mm. him right there i'd have been i probably would have been like yeah turned off immediately <laughs> not even because of the knife but just because i could only imagine he's like, like Oof. Oof. and i would have been like ew we're done so he went into the room and she heard rustling indicating that joanne had been awakened and tyler with her knife in hand turned to go into the room but she quotes couldn't do it she heard joanne telling steven to stop tyler put her knife on some cabinets right outside um, her door, and she sat against the door, covered her ears with her hands, closed her eyes, and hummed. Oh, poor thing. She couldn't handle it. Mm. So if Stephen came out... hummed Avril Lavigne. Oh, probably. Gross. Why'd you have to go and make things so complicated, girl? So Stephen came out of the room holding a knife, and he had blood on his pant leg and a teardrop of blood by his eye. Tyler went into Joanne's room, closed the windows and blinds, and turned on the air conditioner. And this was obviously to, like, preserve the body. And Stephen and Tyler walked to his car and drove to his father's house where Stephen burned his clothes in the fireplace. So, the next day, on June 12th, 2009, Stephen and Tyler went to the house of their best friend, Matthew Widman. They told him that they were running away to San Francisco to commit suicide. Could you imagine if, like, two of your best friends, like, showed up and they're like, we're going to commit suicide? You'd be like, all right, cool, dude. Yeah. I, I'm still stuck on the fact that they went to Stephen's father's house in June and lit a fire. I'd be like, why the fuck are you guys letting a fire in my in my hand? Yeah, I would have known in from El Dorado Jeff. Hills. In El Dorado, it's it's like 102 doing? degrees outside. Yeah, what are you guys doing? Why, it's 104 outside. Why are you guys lighting uh, a fire? What are you burning? I would have been suspicious from Jeff. <laughs> so later that evening, Stephen had told uh, Matthew that he had stabbed Joanne in the stomach and slit her throat. When Stephen said, um, excuse me, Matthew said that he wanted proof, Stephen got a bloody butcher knife from his car. After Stephen and Tyler said goodbye to Matthew, Stephen threw the knife down on down an outdoor sewer drain, and the knife was never recovered. So on the morning of June 13th of 2009, um, Matthew had met up with a mutual friend of theirs, another Matthew. His name is Matthew Bogert. And 
Matthew Widman told Matthew Bokert, confusing, but white people, they love to share names. Mm -hmm. Um, He told him that Stephen had confessed to killing Joanne. Um, So Matthew, too, called Stephen on the phone and Stephen confessed again. So Matthew, too, recalled that Stephen had sent him a text the afternoon before Joanne was murdered, blaming Joanne for driving him into the ground. And Stephen and Joanne had made an agreement that if he would leave right then and there, that Joanne, oh wait, excuse me, and remove himself from their lives, excuse me, um, then she would not press charges or anything and let the encounter die. I'm drunk. I can't read anymore. What's wrong with me? Um, but then Joanne stated all of, or started all of this hell because she got too fucking drunk one night, me, and called the cops. Um, Joanne was the one continuing to try to continue to try to destroy his life, whether he was to stay with Tyler or not. So the night of G- um, June thirteenth, two thousand nine, Stephen and Tyler drove to San Francisco. Tyler wrote a story called "The Killer and His Raven," and they both. They both wrote, like, suicide notes to their friends, which they mailed, which so dramatic. Where did they get stamps from, obviously? Um, and the Raven story that she wrote documented the love affair between a 14-year-old and a 19-year-old... 14-year-old girl and a 19-year-old man. So creative. Yeah, I know, right? And the latter who killed the girl's mother when the mother turned over the girl's diary to police and shattered their dreams. Oh, my! it's so creative. I know, right? It's like, so, where did they get this imagination from? And um, Stephen wrote a letter to um, whom it may concern. Um, he stated that the test of being was, that they were truly in love and was taking the life of another to be with the one that you love. You know, it, he didn't address it to anyone, but it like it wasn't sent. But they, they found were, this they one. They were both such fucking girls, yeah. dude. Like so on Sunday, June fourteenth, um, two thousand nine, around midnight, Stephen and Tyler they actually were in their hotel and they ate a lethal. Um, dose of, well, what they thought was lethal dose of Fruit Loops, um, ice cream, and rat poison. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't work, and they woke up the next day. And on June 15th, 2009, um, that's when Joanne was reported missing, so they found her dead. Mm-hmm. Um, they found the defensive wounds on her hands and fingers. Um, the fatal wound actually was a very large, gaping, sharp force injury to the neck, so the one that almost decapitated her. Yeah, so it was a throat slit that that mm-hmm. practically cut her head off. And so um, she also had stab wounds in the middle of her chest, obviously. Um, and from the stab wounds, the most the forensic um, pathologist could say was that there was the weapon was likely a sharp force object, a knife, and that it was probably not a serrated knife. So just like a really... Ugh. clean chopping no thank god because serrated when it's a serrated knife in these types of situations that's just all the more we've all cut things with serrated knives it's just all the more gruesome to me yeah so fingernail scrapings um, from Joran's right and left hands contained male DNA as did samples taken from Joran's left knee so that's important to note and there was no female DNA foreign foreign DNA excuse me to Joanne found on samples taken from her body so just the male DNA mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, June 17, 2009, um, Stephen and Tyler were spotted by a South San Francisco police officer, and they were arrested, and they were at the shops at Tanforan um, behind the Red Lobster. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So they were probably trying to get Cheddar Bay Biscuits. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. And that might not be a familiar location for everybody, but we're from we're like, we're like an hour away from Frisco. We go all the time. So, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's like when you're – I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's where that's at. Got so. It. That was the whole prosecution's case. The defense is not so long, <laughs> and it's kind of sad a little bit. But 
So what the defense did was Stephen actually testified. And on the afternoon before Joanne was murdered, Stephen visited Tyler at her house. He said that she suggested um, they commit suicide because police had her diary and could arrest and imprison him. And they did not talk about killing Joanne at that time. He did return to work um, from 3 to 10.15. And all of the work knives were accounted for. That's what, you know, they claim. At 10.30 p.m., um, Tyler did call him to come over to her house, upset that Joanne had broken her promise not to get drunk again. And, oh, I wish I could make that promise. And he decided not to rush over because the police had her diary that exposed the nature of their relationship. You know, obviously he was scared. So instead, he drove to the school and waited for Tyler to call him, telling him Joanne was really asleep. Around midnight, Tyler called Stephen in a frantic state and eventually told him to come over. Tyler met him outside with a kitchen knife in her hand and a red stain on her leg. She told Stephen, I did it. I finally did it. My mom is gone forever. Stephen went upstairs and nudged Joanne's leg to confirm she was dead. At Taylor's direction, they burned her clo- their clothes, and Stephen confessed to killing Joanne because he made a promise to protect Tyler. Although they planned on killing themselves on a Monday, the day after the, um, the, day after the killing was Friday, and a lot can happen in three days. In addition to his own testimony, Stephen provided the testimony of seven character witnesses who attested that he was not violent or aggressive. Included among those witnesses were Terrace Litton, who was the manager at Rubio's, and Dylan Heimbrock, an employee at Rubio's, both of whom did not notice any missing Rubio's knives around the time of the murder. So that was their defense. And um, after that, Tyler actually testified um, about how they planned the murder and, like, a matter-of-fact way, she said that they had used the knife because they couldn't... Well, actually, she said, quote, well, we couldn't get a gun. And on cross-examination from the um, defense attorney, Dane Weiner, Tyler claimed violence in the household um, went way back early into her early childhood. Um, and according to Tyler, her mom would kick the living crap out of her, but only choked her a couple of times. And... Um, also, while she was on the stand, this is crazy. Tyler described various aspects of herself, such as Toby, who is from hell, a demon inside of me, she said. And she also said Alex, who was an angel who also lived inside of her. Three souls crowded in one body, Tyler said, on the stand. She also described blackouts when she was enraged. So now she's claiming that she's possessed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Toby, isn't Toby like a demon from like a... A horror, horror movie. movie? Yeah. If you guys know what horror movie that is, let us know, because I cannot remember for the life of me right now. But Toby, Alex, and Tyler, how sweet. 15-year-old Tyler Witt, who recently pled not guilty, walked into this El Dorado County courtroom. 20 seconds later, her alleged boyfriend, Stephen Culver, appeared and sat down behind her, two seats away. It's the first time, so I mean, it's the first time they've had any actual contact in terms of being in close proximity because all the, the proceedings have been separate before this. This joint appearance had significant legal meaning. It's significant from a legal standpoint that yes, now their cases are actually together. In other words, for now, prosecutors are pushing to try these two teens together. However, their defense attorneys are already at odds. Culver's attorney asked for a two-week delay before a preliminary hearing. Witt's attorney objected. And why objected to My client's in custody. This case has sat around in the criminal court for six months. We're ready to go now. At no time did these teenagers look one another in the eye. Culver's attorney in no mood to answer questions about Culver's feelings toward Witt. 
Yeah, rather not talk about those kind of details. However, Witt's attorney did reveal for the first time publicly how this girl reacted when she found out she is being tried as an adult in her own mother's murder. Not well. None of us did. So after that clip that you just heard, Tyler Witt took a plea deal, and with this plea deal, she had to testify against Stephen Colfer, and she was sentenced in 2011 to 15 years in state prison. Um, she is now at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. And an El Dorado County jury, um, the whole court thing took place in Placerville, which is not very far from El Dorado Hills. No. Mm-mm. But it's, um, you know, you would think that they would probably want to move it because it did make a little bit of attention. You would think that they wanted to move it further, but no, they just moved it. They moved it to they moved Placerville. It literally a couple exits away from <laughs> El Dorado Basically. Hills. Yeah. Same, still on 50. Um, so that jury found Stephen Culver guilty of first degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Um, and his mother, Jan Culver, is trying to reverse it, claiming that she believes that Tyler killed Joanne before Stephen arrived. So she believes the defense's story. Mm-hmm. And with Tyler, she's um, eligible for parole in 2024. So what are your takeaways about this? So I have a couple things. Um, Go for it. Initially, I do want to say, I don't believe in abusing your children. That's not that's not yes. what I'm saying. However, a lot of us grew up in a different time period where, you know, spanking was a thing. My mom didn't have to do those things because what my mom did when we were younger was instill fear in us. And it wasn't necessarily fear of her hurting us. It was fear of her embarrassing us. My mom was, she knew, she already, like, with me especially, it's embarrassing me. Like, just, for example, let's say, you know, maybe I was acting up and I was about 13 or 14 years old. And, and I'm just, this not that this actually happened, but this is just a good example. Acting up, 13, 14 years old, and she was like, probably like, okay, Erica, you need to shut your mouth. And maybe I didn't shut my mouth. Let's say we'd go into Target. She'd be like, oh, you need a bra. What size are you again? Flat? And I would have been like, <laughs> and she would have said it hella loud. And I would have been like, oh, I would have been embarrassed. So my mom knows like how to, you know, and, but that's the thing is my mother. And obviously I, my parents were married for, for like, your, my parents were married for like 25 years. I grew up with both my mom and my dad, but we knew enough. Like my parents instilled in a, a fear into us. And I understand that. I want a kid just to do that to them in Target. <laughs> I understand that, you know, obviously Joanne at one time when Tyler was five hit her mm-hmm. and then CPS got involved and then that pretty much shaped the situation for the years to come. But at the same time, you know, how much control does one have over their child? It's enough where you need to establish the relationship between who is the parent and who is the child, who is in charge and who isn't. Yeah. Because like I said earlier in our banter, I like to ask my children questions like for example who are you talking to who are you talking to yeah. or rhetorical ones where i say i know you're not talking to me and and that's the thing <clears throat> and so that being said i also believe that um i do believe that steven killed joanne mm-hmm. however i think that tyler was really feeding him this whole thing about being arrested for um oh, yeah. statutory rape and i think she she understood that that was a real huge fear of his that's totally my takeaway too yeah right Go and home. so that she utilized that to put you know fear into him like hey if we don't kill my mom or if you don't kill my mom you're going to go to prison forever and we won't be together rela- we won't be together yeah. because of our relationship i think she was the manipulative manipulative mastermind behind all of this totally and um 
you know, I don't think she sat down with her her uh, hands over her ears humming when this was happening. I think She's she was happy because she mm. always had some kind of animosity towards her mother for whatever reason. I don't believe that Joanne deserved to die. And it sucks because I think Joanne, after that CPS incident, spent the rest of her life trying to be a better mother. I also don't believe she was a raging alcoholic the way Tyler no. said she what was. What parent think, doesn't drink, honestly, Well, and when I, you have badass kids? Exactly. And I think Tyler was a brat. She's, this is a classic case of a brat. I mean... To be fair, this story does remind me a lot of the Gypsy Rose. I was going to say that. Okay. Situation, I do. but I do feel bad for Gypsy Rose. In this case, I don't feel bad for Tyler. No. I think Tyler was a manipulative little brat, and that's pretty much what happened. I feel bad for Steven and the fact that he was able to be manipulated. However, love is a crazy thing. Love makes you do crazy things. Yep. And, you know, at this point, even though everybody, like, not everybody, but the two people that he worked with, his boss and the coworker testified saying that, you know, as character witnesses, he didn't seem like he was a violent person or whatever it they was. They just knew him at work. Yeah, but it's like when you're put in a situation between a life and death in your mind situation, you're going to do what you can to protect yourself, right? Yeah. And so I think at that point, Tyler was like, oh, whatever. We're not going to be able to be together, this, that, and the other thing. And she really fueled that. And that's not to excuse what mm-hmm. he did. It's wrong. But at the same time, she's equally as guilty and yes. it sucks that she threw him under the bus but in situations like <clears throat> this just typically that we've seen in the media females do you know they get the guy and they throw the guy under the bus yeah. very often in these types of situations because ultimately i think that men are very attached to women the same way that we are we're always perceived to be the yeah. crazy one or the one that can't get over it when in reality men are as well because if that if i was him and my girlfriend was like, we're never going to be able to be together. I'd be like, well, I fucked up the first time I fucked you, so I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Let me go talk to my mom real quick. And my mom would have been like, you better not fucking talk to that bitch anymore. You know, and that would have been the situation. Yeah. You know, I have an issue because I understand why CPS is there. And I understand that CPS does do good for families that need it. But a lot of the time, I feel like they don't help enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like they don't react fast enough. And I feel like they waste a lot of time on situations that are not important or not pressing like when I was five I literally was um or maybe I was six I was in kindergarten and I remember I was in the bedroom and I was spinning around and I distinctly remember my mom and her boyfriend at the time coming to the bedroom they told me to be careful and what did I do I flew like face first into my bed frame Mm -hmm. and I had a giant bruise over my face and I went to school the next day because I mean hello I still was gonna go to school and they called CPS on my mom. And, like, it was this big thing. I remember my mom crying on the couch. And she was like, he ran into it. And I, I told them. I was like, no, I ran into it. And they questioned me. And I do remember them, like, sitting me down. with like, are you sure, like, they no one hit you? I was like, no. I was, like, spinning. And they told me not to. Like, mm-hmm. obviously nothing came of it. And, like, my dad was contacted. And it was, like, this big thing. And, like, my dad believed my mom, obviously, because yeah. they had a good relationship. But it was like, I don't know. I feel like they waste a lot of time on situations like that where, like, uh, Tyler, you know, was threatening to call CPS on her mom that she was terrified of that. I hate the stigma of it. I understand why we have it and I get why we need it, but I think that it's stupid. But it, that was just a random sharp left rant. My takeaway is it it does remind me a lot of the Gypsy Rose case. I believe that Tyler might not have actually stabbed her mom, but she had a lot to do with it. She definitely was manipulative and she, I, Tyler... 2024, girl, I'll be waiting for you out at Chowchilla. I don't like you. Um, but basically, you know how people are mad at Selena's killer and they're like, oh, yeah. she's getting paroled soon? Yolanda has no chance. It's it's me and Tyler. We're, we're, we're done. So basically, I just, 
I think that she's manipulative. I think she's gross. I think she'd been plotting her mom's murder for a while. And I think this was just the final straw for her. And um, honestly, discipline your kids. It doesn't mean that you have to hit them, but show control. You're the parent. Mm -hmm. And as a kid who wasn't disciplined very much, but there was times where I had to be because, you know, I was a little wild, but not. I was good most of the time because, like, I didn't want to piss off my parents. Your kids will know when the time comes. Don't don't worry about hurting their feelings. They're kids. They're your kids. You had them. We would not have life without you, our parents. Right. Don't worry about what they think. When they're old enough, they're going to realize how right their parents were. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like, I realize now my parents were right all the time. And in hindsight, I wish that I, I had... I was a good kid, but I wish that I, the, the times that I gave them that were hard, I wish that I hadn't have done that. Because, like, what was the point? What satisfaction did I get in that moment that really lasted till today? Nothing. So. Right. And I have to back you. What you said right now, I do realize, like you're saying, all these years later, in hindsight, my parents were right about everything. Every everything. single thing that Every my time mom they lied and dad to us, they were me, right. They were right about everything. And so, mom, because my mom listens, you were right. I owe you, girl. And you're right. And you, like you said, wait till you become a parent. And I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, thankfully, my daughter is a lot more calm than I was. Thank God. But still, at the same time, you know, I don't know how many young listeners we have, but your parents are right about everything. Your parents You'll realize right. it when you get to your mid-30s or your early 30s. You're going to be like, oh, my God, my mom was right. My dad was right. Your parents are right about everything. Give your parents mm-hmm. more respect. Give them more credit. They, Give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, your parents right. have lived through every situation that you're encountering. Because... As a kid, you ruined your parents' life. Right. And Remember uh, that. And honey, Tyler, you ain't the first girl to sneak your boyfriend in, honey. As, so as the calm as down. the two firstborns here, you ruined your your parents' lives. So <laughs> with that, make sure to like and <laughs> like and rate and subscribe to this podcast. Sorry, I can't stop laughing. I'm still laughing at your mom saying, What's your bra size flat? I mean flat. I know that, I know that it didn't happen. And, and but so for me in particular, you understand it's, that it's, that's, it's yeah, hypothetical. That's something so that funny. would embarrass me. Anyways, make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Give us five stars, four stars, give us one star. I don't care anymore. Give us money. Who Just cares? Anything. Just give us something. Um, give us some story ideas too. Yeah, because this was one of our favorites to cover. I know, and I had I hadn't even heard about this. Yeah, same. Um, follow us on Instagram at Hella Capital Crime. And you know what? Stay safe out there. Maybe spank your children if you need to. If we'll you catch need you to. next we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We have to say a thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Erica, I have to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to drink wine and talk shit with me. Oh, thank you for taking time out of your finest day to hang out with me too. Also, thank you to our producer, It's Your Girl Bree, the Scythe Proclaim Life of the Party. And thank you, Chico Pelagroso, for making us an amazing theme song. And as JLo said as Selena, thank you to the listeners, our fans, because without you, we'd be nothing. <laughs>